uh, join us today for his new book, uh, Broken Sleep. Ladies and gen gentlemen, Bruce Bauman. Everybody, thanks for coming. Um, this is a galley, so I ripped out pages because I can't read from a real book because it scares me. Um, okay, first off, uh, I just want to thank everybody. Okay, they're taping this, so I promised I would only curse every other word. Um, okay, first off, I just want to thank everybody uh, for coming who's here. And um, since this is the first reading, I'm going to thank a bunch of people, like it's Los Angeles. Why not? It's an award ceremony for me. Okay. Um, first, I just want to thank Skylight and for, for doing this, and David and Noel who helped organize it. I also want to thank other press for supporting me over the years and actually for doing something pretty amazing, which was three separate color covers, which I think are really an art piece for me. I hope the book is as good as the covers. Um, and then my agent, Jennifer Lyons, and I hope she hears this because I used to call her at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she lives in New York with my freaky um, neurotic middle-of-the-night panic attacks. And also, I want to thank my parents for always supporting me, and most of all, my wife Susan, who dragged my ass out of here from New York 15 years ago, and is a really great move, and this is book is as much hers as it is mine. Okay, um, I'm going to read three very short sections. It'll be about 13 minutes, maybe 15, because I took a lot of lorazepam, so I might read slow. <laughs> okay, hey, it's true. <laughs> um, but first I'm going to tell a joke that's apropos of a book called Broken Sleep. Okay, have you guys heard about the dyslexic, agnostic, insomniac who stayed awake all night wondering if there is a dog? Think about it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> dyslexic, dog. <laughs> okay, good thing I became a writer, huh? Okay. Um... I'm going to start with a very short uh, chapter that introduces the character of Moses Tumor. He, um, his section is told in the third person, and all you need to know right now is that he's quite ill, and he just found out that he was adopted, and he's trying to find his family. Your ghost is alive. Through the phone, Moses could practically feel Sedona Cherry's self-congratulatory pat on the back as she breathlessly relayed her discovery. He sighed. She continued. Old and in failing health, but alive. Not only is your father still kicking, he owns a condo exactly 3.6 miles from your door. Forty years of intractable angst and 3,000 therapeutic miles later, and he ends up in spy gas distance from my home, Moses thought. What a cosmic joke. Cherry continued, west on Venice, north on ocean, all the way to, hey, Miss Cherry, stop. Damn how he wished his father had been dead until he again remembered that he needed him alive. Professor, 
There's more. Professor? He hadn't told Cherry that he was a professor of American history in the irrelevant department in the Southern California College of Art and Music in Pasadena. Okay, slowly now. He also has a place in Rio, not sure of the address, where it seems he spends most of his time. As of last night, he was here in Los Angeles. According to all official records, Hannah is your birth mother. Are you positive she is not your mother? Nothing about Moses' past made sense anymore. Malcolm Toomer had slept with his mom. Hell, they were married. Moses was born on December 8, 1958, and 40 years, and for 40 years he had believed Hannah had given birth to him. Unfortunately, I'm sure. If she doesn't know who your actual mother is, I don't think there's anyone left alive who can help except your father. This father had stuck around for two years after Moses' birth, evaporating into the suburban air, except for a failed search at the age of 17 where certain scents before going dead had hinted toward South America as his ultimate landing place. Moses remained unknowing of where Malcolm lived or if he is even still alive. Cherry waited on the other end of the phone for an answer as he began to imagine for the umpteenth, umpteenth time in another of what he termed his daymares, a new version of his father's journey, this time from New York to destination do-overland. He gazes up at the gray clouds of the October sky, unmoved by his sister's goodbye wave from the open window of her olive green Pontiac, and before her eyes, he vaporizes into, f into the futuristic Pan Am terminal and emerges as a new man, waiting in the Pacific tides of Avalon among breathless sea maidens, his exhalations emptying the toxic fumes of the Nazis' total war, a survivor reborn with no past and with no son. Yo, Hamlet, you faint or something? You want your father's address? Yes, fax it to me now. Thanks, I'll call you. Almost too cautiously, Moses returned the phone to its bright yellow cradle. His insides clenched. Instead of relieved, he was livid. Now that his father was alive and so damn close, there would be, he hoped, no more forays into scores of imaginary pasts. He slumped in his swivel chair in the room that he kept dimly lit and New York winter dark. Despite two decades in L.A., Moses had subconsciously recreated New York in his room, a groggy, Decemberish gray filled with the aura of dread and the resounding roar of an onrushing subway at midnight, even when it was silent. Right then, the sound in his room couldn't have been more quiet and the bursting cacophony of confusion in his head any louder. Okay, the next section I'm going to read is from uh, the Songs of Salome. Salome is a little bit um, bitty but bit in the head. So, see how this works out if this, if this works at this point. Last night, I drifted back in time through my DNA. The power comes with being a sensate morphologist. I am descended from Greta Garbo, but we possess the mitochondrial genomes of our personal mystagogue, Salome. Not the Salome who served Herod and danced with the head of John the Baptist, the Salome who witnessed the crucifixion, the beloved disciple who, according to Mark, 
sought out Jesus at the tomb to anoint him with spices. I engaged first with Big Mama Salome just after I gave birth to alchemy during an evening walk on the beach at Gardner's Bay under the half moon. I stepped on a cracked shell. My heel began to bleed. From my blood flowed the stigma of my ancestor Salome, not in bodily form, but in the infinitesimal sparks of energy that forever live inside and outside of us. She communicated with me in words that were not spoken. She introduced herself before asking if I knew the Bible. Dad and Hilda read it to me as a child. Good, she said. Young disciple Mark purposely misinformed the masses. Those male disciples are the most unreliable narrators in all history, she laughed. Jesus was alive then, as he had been when they helped him off the cross. The Romans did crucify him. We announced his death at the time, not because we wanted to start a religion, but to fool the Romans so we could slip him out of Jerusalem to a safe haven. I helped him escape to Galilee. He hadn't risen anywhere. She didn't tell me that night, but later, that she slept with Jesus. There are intimations to all that in the apocryphal Gnostic texts. Jesus was one carnal man, and he was a man just closer to perfection than most. Memory is planted in our genes for those who have the ability to commune with themselves. It will be proved that we can transcend our corporal bodies and through our DNA traverse what you call time. I might or might not be alive when genetic historians prove that I am right, but I can and I have transcended time. Okay, the last section I'm going to read, uh, it's a little bit longer. It's from the Memoirs of a Good for Nothing section. And the narrator of that is Ricky McFinn. That's what he's called at this time. He evolves into Ambitious Mind Swallow. Um, he's a bass player in The Insatiables. See my t-shirt? Um, which is a famous rock band. And um, he, at this moment, has just met Alchemy Savant, Salome's second son. And they're going to visit her in 1992 in uh, the Collier Lane Mental Health Facility. We walk into the lobby. He whispers to the guy at the desk and they start laughing. The guy leads us into the large sitting area with all these fucking trees growing out of the roof. He calls it the Arboretum. I'm looking up for birds and squirrel monkeys that'll be dropping their turds on me. I find a safe spot and plop down in this fluffy sofa by a TV that is onto the Mets game. Alchemy sits down too. Turns out we're both Mets fans. Five minutes later, the hottest middle-aged babe Lottie Dawes out, dressed in tight-ass pedal pusher pants and a bikini bra and a fishnet shawl, in sandals with the toes painted purple, and holding a flashlight in her left hand. I do a Jackie Gleason-like double take. Really, she is about the sexiest anything any age I ever seen. I would have done her in a flush and flash. She and Alchemy hug and hold hands. He says, Mom, please meet Ricky Mindswallow, a car thief from Queens. I look at him thinking, Whoa, stealing that car, that was your idea. And that name, I don't say nothing before he says to me, This is my mom, Salome, a shapeshifter from another dimension. She looks at me, her eyes a popping 
deep green and unblinking, and her skin is damn pale. She takes the flashlight, turns it on, points it at his feet, and slowly moves the light up his body. Mr. Mindswallow, take a close look at my son of the multicolored eyes, she says, kind of snarky. I am not the only shapeshifter in this family. Then she turns and shines a light in my face, and I can't tell if she notices my glass eye. A car thief, hmm. What I need to know is this. Are you a homicider or a suicider? Alchemy starts chuckling. I try to block the light with my hand until she turns it off. You see, my pretty splenetic young seedling, there are two main species of bipeds in the world, homiciders and suiciders. A few fit into the smaller category of those who would kill their enemy or lover, and also themselves. Most of us lie about what we are. She pauses and almost hisses. Then there are those, like my son here, who think they are too superior for any one designation. Right, honey? That don't sound like a question, but a threat. No, Mom. I'm an apple cider. Okay, as long as you're not a mattress cider. She points the flashlight at him, but don't turn it on. So, doing much fucking lately? I think, yeah, like half an hour ago. But he slides right beside her and takes her outstretched hand in his, and like Fred and Ginger, they do a pretend tap dance while singing to the tune of the awful Three Dog Night song. Sublimate, sublimate, dance to the music, and shortle like they're both nuts. They had what alchemy calls their undercover language. Then she turns to me. Now, I'll ask you again. What are you? You best believe I'm a killer. Yes, I best believe you are. Oh, that queen's accent. It's such an aphrodisiac. She sidles up to me and she rubs this tiny kind of sexy scar on her right cheek. Then she scratches my cheek with her long fingers and pulls almost too hard in my skull earring. With the nail on her pointer finger, she she circles the tat of my right forearm. Then she kisses me on the lips in the sexiest way. This daffy bitch gave me a fucking hard on. Then she grabs my cock, my balls really, and squeezes them so I'm doubling over in pain. Mr. Ricky Mindswallow, you are rotten. I smell that. You smell like a pestilential rat encased in fossilized peanut butter with rusted nails for claws. She shrugs and lets go. I kind of want to slug her, and I feel like she sees that. I don't hit no women. She just giggles again, and in a real motherly way. Well, not my fucking mother. She takes my, her hand between, my hand between her hands, and I don't know what the hell she's going to do next. She says, My son needs a Sancho Panza of evil by his side. I'm wondering who the hell is Sancho Panza? I say, Okay. I mean, Christ, what do you say to that? Mom, let him be. Let's go talk to Ruggles of Red Gap. Just a piece of advice, Ricky. You also smell ambitious, like bathrooms on the stock exchange. I got no freaking idea what she's talking about, but she's so intense, like some funky TV goddess, so I'm listening close. If you want to be friends with my son, who is, in ways you cannot fathom, more dangerous than anyone you have ever met, 
You better grow some extremely resilient testicles to go with your ambition. Alchemy gives me the eyebrow signal to wait for him, and they disappear into the back rooms of Collier Lane to commiserate with the doctor. I'm twiddling my thumbs, half-watching the game, thinking this duo is two Looney Tunes for me, and maybe I should beat it back to New York. They come back almost an hour later, silently holding hands like they're doing a slow step to the gallows. Salome stops, eyes half-closed, says, My teenage killer. I was, I am, a good mother. I love my son more than my own life. Because I can't now, please take care of him. She rests her head against Alchemy's chest for a minute before he gently tugs himself away. I'm not into any whoa, whoa, pity me shit, but I've never seen two people look more beat than Alchemy and Salome that day. Thank you. Okay. Any questions? Go ahead, Clara, then Kathy. Um, sorry, I was just going to ask that the satiric uh, element of this work is just something that has to be second third. What? The satiric element in this work, where that thread is, that sort of pure through line will work on this? The real satire you didn't even hear, because that's of the art world. Um, I don't know. Life is to be made satirical of as long as there's a serious edge to it, and I'm hoping there's both. I don't know. Life is funny <laughs> to me. Kathy? Um, where can I get an Insatiable's t shirt? Uh, <laughs> Susan made this. My wife Susan made this, and she made about eight of them, but we're going to make a bunch more and put them on my website for sale. Because uh, an art writer up in San Francisco is writing an article about the insatiables. He, maybe he's seen them, but I haven't. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Well, way back. And then. How do you transcend time? I don't. Salome does. <laughs> if I were doing that, man, I'd be transcended out of here right now. <laughs> so. Um, you use your DNA, you focus, and you go, <laughs> Coop? You uh, referenced probably more songs than I've ever seen in any novel. I think it must have been in the hundreds. Uh, if you talk about either, mostly classic rock and some great American Yeah. Uh, being a lonely kid and listening to music and reading books <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but um, during the writing of the book, I, I listened. I have pages and stacks and stacks of every song I listen to. And um, actually, there's a sort of soundtrack going up on Large Hearted Boy next week. But it's, it's 12 songs out of the hundreds. Yeah, I mean, they're referenced in all different ways in the titles and the chapters, yeah. I don't know. I love music. Um, you know, if you read the book, you figure out, I would have rather been a rock star. First, I would have rather been second baseman for the Mets or the Yankees, but <laughs> neither one of those worked out. <laughs> so, 
or be yeah, right both. <laughs> okay, I saw another hand somewhere. Okay. Your book has a diversity of voices. Which voice came first? Which voice came last? Um, mine swallow came. Mine swallow came first. Um, I grew up with everyone who spoke like that, and they still still do when I talk to them. I mean, maybe I still do. So that was really easy. Um, and Moses was first person actually. Steve Erickson back there was the person who advised me to make it third. Do you even remember that? Yeah, and he was right as he almost always is. And then um, the hardest was Salome. I must have had that 15 different tries, first person, third person, who knows. And then one day she came and she just didn't shut the fuck up till I was done with the book, which was good. Because um, when you get those voices, you hope they stay and don't leave the room before you're ready, because that's happened to me before too. Anybody else? Sure. How long were the characters in the making? Uh, 30, 40 years. I mean, um, when I was in my 20s, I had a dream about the insatiables, an ambitious mind swallow, and a character called Twilight Fingertips that became uh, Alchemy Savant. And then over the years, but you know, when, when I dreamed them, I had no idea what the hell they were going to be. You know, they changed a lot as when they decided what they were to fit their names. Yeah, there were other characters who didn't make it. One of my favorite was Rosebush Throb. <laughs> Never made it. Maybe if I write a porn novel. <laughs> okay. Who else? Okay. Thanks for coming. Hope you enjoy the. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.